study in chapter 21 of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience, and we'll be making reference back to Romans 8, as we'll see. Uh, that is the footnoted expression or phrase we're going to deal with this morning. I'm going to just read paragraph 1 up to the place where we're going to uh, focus our study this morning. Chapter 21, paragraph 1 says, The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the rigor and curse of the law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions. From the evil of afflictions. Now that's our subject from this morning, and it sounds a little bit contrary uh, when we think about how the confession writers use this word or this expression, the evil of afflictions. Now, the remember this chapter could be divided up uh, into a list, or this paragraph rather, and this list gives us 10 realities that believers have been freed from. Now we've established the fact that this liberty was purchased by Christ, and he purchased that liberty or our freedom with his blood under the gospel. That's the statement that begins the paragraph. Uh, we dealt with the first three expressions or words or phrases there, and we dealt with the guilt of sin, that we've been freed from the guilt of sin. Uh, we considered that two Sundays ago. Uh, the next three items relate to the power of sin, which we dealt with last Sunday. And then there's these final four uh, that deal with the punishment of sin. Uh, so today, uh, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to consider uh, these next four that are mentioned. Uh, but we're going to primarily deal with today, this first of these four, the evil of afflictions. The evil of afflictions. Uh, I think we're all in agreement that we certainly should be thankful for what we've been delivered from. Uh, up to this point already, if this is all we knew and this is all we had to know that we have been freed from the guilt and the power of sin, uh, certainly we would rejoice. Uh, but there's this aspect of understanding that we've been delivered and freed from the punishment of sin and how thankful we should be. Uh, the confession mentions these 10 things, and as children of the Most High God, uh, we are uh, servants to none but God. We're none, no other servants to any other but Jesus Christ. Uh, it is true freedom uh, comes from being freed from everything else unto the servanthood of Christ. And so our true freedom is in our servanthood. Um, you're going to see that as a theme that's not only this morning, but also into um, our 1130 service where Christ himself emphasized being a servant, uh, humility, uh, being one that understands that we belong to Christ, we belong to him. We are called to walk in freedom. Galatians 5.1 teaches us we are under grace, and we're thankful for that grace this morning, uh, but our freedom never consists in us doing our own will. It always consists in doing the will of God. Uh, we have not been set free to do whatever we want. Now, we will do whatever we want. We at times do what we want, but that's not what freedom is. Uh, freedom in Christ is the freedom to walk in the way of God. And that's where true freedom comes from, is by walking in the way of God. So we've been called out, as we learned last week, of the bondage of sin. We've been called away and delivered from the bondage of Satan, the dominion of sin from the evil of afflictions. 
Now again, we're called out, remember. We're free, but yet the confession writers thought it important enough and scriptural to show us that the evil of afflictions is what we've been delivered from. Now notice what they did not say, that we've been freed from affliction. They say we've been freed from the evil of afflictions. Uh, there is no biblical passage that guarantees you in this life freedom from afflictions. There is nothing that guarantees you that if you're in Christ, you are free to no longer suffer, that you will no longer be under tribulation. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're actually promised the other. Romans 8.28 is one of the most often quoted favorite life verses of people, and yet it's also one of the most misunderstood. We like to claim it when everything is going well. We like to claim it when we say, see, God is doing all things for our good. However, remember what all things means. All things means even the afflictions are for your good. The afflictions for a believer are no longer evil. But the afflictions are evil to some. Not the believer, but to the unbeliever. Afflictions and trials and struggles and sicknesses, uh, they are evidence of a fallen sinful world. And those afflictions that afflict the non-believer certainly do have within them, and don't miss this, have within them the punishment of sin. But for the believer, they're no longer punishment. They're actually a chastening, purifying process. You see, we've been freed from the evil of afflictions. We've been freed from what the affliction, if it stood alone, could be considered. Now, it's very important to qualify that statement. We are not delivered from afflictions, but we are rather delivered from the evil of those afflictions. There's a tremendous difference. It's where the prosperity gospel on many other levels goes way off the rails. Because they would tell you that if you have enough faith, you will be free from afflictions of any sort. But the Bible speaks exactly the opposite of that. It says that there will be afflictions, but we are free from the evil of those afflictions. Now, we're not going to do this this morning, but if I was to go around the room and I was to say, tell me about your most recent affliction. Uh, nearly every one of us would have something that we would consider an affliction. And we might measure that affliction by the standard of our own system of measurement. And we might say, well, that affliction that uh, so-and-so just mentioned is really nothing compared to the affliction that I'm going through. My affliction is so much more. There's a danger in trying to weigh our afflictions amongst each other. But biblically, we're not to weigh our afflictions and compare them. What we are to do biblically is to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So if one of our brethren is going through a time of affliction and it's bringing them to a place of weeping, well, we weep with them. But we don't weep with them as people who have no hope. Most, many times the problem with our afflictions is we weep as if we have not been delivered. We've been delivered from the evil of them. And that's what we're going to deal with this morning. What is the evil of affliction? And how have we been delivered from it? We certainly know, and Paul was writing in Romans 8, Romans 8 is, is one of those, uh, just those, those, those tremendous chapters that there is so much to it. 
I was listening to a man recently said, if you could choose any scripture, any word of God, any part of the Bible uh, to be read on your deathbed, what would it be? And he said without any hesitation, he said it would be Romans 8. Because in that text and in that chapter contains the entirety of the entire Christian life. And it begins in verse 1 saying, there is therefore now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The fact that you are not condemned, the fact that you are no longer under the power and the guilt of sin, but that third point that you are no longer under the punishment of sin. You cannot be condemned eternally ever again. Again, we've also learned that doesn't mean it's a license to sin. It has the opposite effect in the true believer. We want to live more for his glory than we ever have before. Again, we don't have problems today living for God when everything's going well. Our great problem is when affliction comes. And affliction is the greatest teacher. You will learn more in God's afflicting than you will in the triumphs that you have. It's a great teacher. It's sobering. It's humbling. But it's also the greatest times when God does his greatest work, the Spirit of God. And yet Paul says, again, often misquoted, taken out of context, he doesn't say we know that all good things work together. He says all things work together for who? For good to them that love God. This is not a promise for non-believers. This is not a verse you can take and say, look, your affliction, Mr. or Mrs. Non-Believer, is working for your good. No, scripturally, it's the sign of punishment. But for the believer, it's the sign of God's purifying grace. It's a very important concept I hope that we understand this morning. You see, fallen sinful men and women suffer in this world because as a race... Humanity has rebelled against God. Now, the very painful reality of afflictions is that afflictions do come and they are a revelation of the fact that God has punished this world. Sinners are still under condemnation, not Christians who still sin, but sinners, those who have not repented and believed the gospel, they are still under condemnation. Romans 8 is not a hopeful chapter for a non-believer. It is actually probably the most frightening chapter you can ever read to a non-believer is Romans chapter number 8 because condemnation is still upon them. The affliction for the unbeliever is a sign of their condemnation still being upon them. The affliction on the believer is a sign of God's purifying grace. All things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to His purposes. Now, of course, that chapter goes on and uh, the golden chain of our salvation in verses 29 about he foreknew, predestinated, conformed, he who justified, glorified, and he asked the question that if God is for us, who could be against us? Is God for the believer in affliction? Yes. When you're afflicted, God is still for you doesn't always feel that way. As a matter of fact, in our humanity, we are tempted to say, this certainly feels like God is doing me something very harmful and very hurtful. But yet, remember, for the non-Christian, these afflictions 
Just like God is sovereign, again, this is where we begin to doubt God's sovereignty, God orders those afflictions. He orders those afflictions in the believer's life, and He orders those afflictions in the non-believer's life. He is still sovereign even over the non-believer's life. And because He is sovereign in those things, and because He is the one that has ordained those, they are inescapably tied to what God determined to do. So what is God doing when he, the world is under condemnation? He is punishing sinful man for their evil rebellion. A person who is afflicted today, who never repents of their sins, afflictions are nothing more than a foretaste of a much greater suffering to come. And it's unimaginable suffering. Eternal damnation. The affliction to the unbeliever in this world will seem as nothing when compared to the eternal damnation they're going to experience. The affliction, no matter what they're afflicted with, to the non-believer will feel like nothing. As a matter of fact, they would rather go back to the affliction in this life than to continue to suffer the eternal damnation that they will suffer if they remain in their unrepentant state. Now, the believer, on the other hand, has been delivered from the punishment of that affliction. Through whom? Through their well-educated mind? No, through Christ. Christ has redeemed them from the punishment or the evil of that affliction. I was in a, I was in a cancer ward last week, a treatment center. And I was looking all around me. And again, there's no way for me to tell who the believers and who the non-believers are. But you can see affliction all around you. As I sat there in the waiting room, I watched as people came in. Everyone was in various levels of that affliction. You could tell who had been battling their particular affliction, which is a cancer center. So you make the assumption everyone's here because either A, they have cancer, they're being screened for cancer, or they're being treated for cancer. Something's happening with all of them. And each one of them came in and they were all at various stages of what that affliction had done to their body. If you've been through this with a family member and a loved one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The toll it takes on the human body is immeasurable and indescribable. But it's evidence of sin in the world. Now, if you were to take two of those believers, one a believer and one a non-believer, the purpose of those afflictions are completely different. The evil of the affliction on the believer is no longer there. But that non-believer is being reminded every single day of the evil that affliction brings. But again, why are we afflicted? We're afflicted because of sin. But who sovereignly ordains it? It's God. Again, we cannot begin to play God and tell people. And you don't, we don't ever dare look at a non-believer and say, you know what, the reason you have cancer is because you're a sinner. You and I don't have a right to tell anybody why they have any particular affliction, but we do know that afflictions are sovereignly ordained by God. But for the believer, they're no longer a foretaste of the punishment to come. They are a purifying grace. And I will tell you, having watched a parent on either side go through this, it's hard to understand how this cancer is a purifying grace of affliction. It's difficult. It's difficult to claim Romans 
when a parent's going through it. It's difficult to say all, good, all things work together for good to those who love God. You know you love God. You say you love God. But then when these afflictions come, we struggle with them and we say there's got to be some evil to this. And yet, the evil of that affliction, the foretaste of the punishment to come for the believer has been removed. You see, apart from that repentance, these afflictions certainly have a frightening thought to them. While the believer does still suffer in this world, his afflictions or her afflictions are now the manifestation of our Heavenly Father and His process of loving His children so that even through the affliction, we are becoming more and more holy. You see, the child of God suffers these afflictions with the conviction knowing that my Heavenly Father loves me. And as Paul wrote in Romans 8, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I'm not telling you this morning that when you're going through these afflictions that you're going with this giant smile on your face and you are rejoicing and, and just shouting out loud. So I'm, so praise, I'm praising God for this illness. I'm praising God for this affliction. I'm not saying that at all. But I am telling you that if we take God at His word, He does say that these afflictions are even for our good. But those afflictions... They can harm our body, okay? They will harm our body, but they can have no eternal harm on your soul. That affliction cannot touch your soul. If you are in Christ, who can separate you from the love of God? Remember what Paul said later in that text, and we read it, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, we understand that these afflictions that come, these trials that come, they are further sanctifying us, and in some cases, they are disciplining us, but they are not for our eternal harm. They're not a punishment. They are meant for our good. What you and I cannot get as mere mortals, mere humans, you and I cannot see good in everything. Even the enemies of the gospel, even the greatest enemies of the cross, when they do something wrong to us, they mean it for evil. God means it for good. The entire story of Joseph and his brothers, he was able to get to the end of his life and he, he could have taken vengeance against them for what they did and he said, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. And you go back and you read Joseph's life and his affliction wasn't so much health, but he certainly battled afflictions. He battled slander. He was imprisoned falsely. And when he had the chance, he said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. These afflictions are the exact same thing. They're meant for evil. They look evil. They feel evil. But they're meant for good. Those afflictions that come upon Christians, believers, are used to further our good. The promises of 8, Romans 8.28 stand fast. 
I'm not familiar with this writer, and I, so I'm not, I am not um, endorsing his doctrine theology. I don't I know enough, but I, I do. His quote is, is spot on. He said, Christ does not grant to believers an entire exemption from the troubles that are common to men, but he frees them from all the penal evil of afflictions. The cup of their affliction may be large and deep, and I like what he says here, but there is not one drop of judicial wrath mingled in it. Their afflictions are designed for their profit, and though the divine bl- and through the divine blessing, they are, they are rented in various aspects highly beneficial to them. Hence, the children of God have often acknowledged that it was good for them to have been afflicted. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Have you ever read Psalm 119.71 and actually thought about what the psalmist was saying? It is good for me. It is good for me. You know, sometimes, sadly, we say things like this. Well, it was, it was good for them to be afflicted so that they may know God in a better way. He said, it's good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. That I might learn more of who you are. Sometimes these afflictions are difficult to perceive. What is God doing? What is the profit in this? Yet we can't have the full assurance, which is what Paul was writing about, that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things, the bad and the good. One of our biggest struggles in life is how we respond in afflictions. I will tell you, I'll be honest with you this morning, it is that these messages and these lessons are one of the hardest ones you ever mentioned because of the personal aspect of what I'm saying to you. When I'm telling you, not knowing what tomorrow holds, taking these verses and in the context of a, of a service like this where we're, we're ed- being edified through the Word and primarily this is the church that's gathered here today. I look around and most everyone in this room is a child of God at least by profession. Some of our children are not there yet, but I'm looking at believers. I'm looking at people that I can tell you with assurance what, what God is saying through His Word, believer, is that these afflictions are for your good. Now, if I looked around the room today and I knew for sure there was someone who wasn't saved or did not have a profession of faith, you can see the difference, right? You can see how they would be hearing this. But there are times when pastors and elders have to stand up and we have to encourage you just as believers in the faith and say, listen, believers, we're all talking about the same thing this morning. The primary focus right now, the gospel is why we're in Christ, absolutely. But the primary focus now is the edification of brothers and sisters in Christ. There is not a one of you in this room who has not or will not go through affliction. None of us are free from affliction, but if we're in Christ, we are free from the evil of it. And the reality is, is this is meant to be something that brings encouragement to us, not something that brings us down 
As the psalmist said, it was good that I was afflicted. Now again, I don't believe he's saying, boy, I can't wait till the next one comes. Because we can't always see the good. Matter of fact, I would say most times we can't see the good. We tend to view life through the lens of, here's the good things that happened. I've been involved, and again, I'm not saying there's not a place for these, but I've been involved in a lot of um, testimony services over the years where people just give testimony, and I, I praise God for that. But I can count on one hand how many times someone said, I praise God for the affliction that I'm presently going through, that it's conforming me more to the image of my dear Savior. It's not hard to testify about the good things that are going on in your life. It's really difficult to praise God and say, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. See, the only way we can say that is because the evil of those afflictions has been removed. We're no longer seeing a foretaste of eternal damnation. We're seeing the glories of eternity right before us. And we do have the hope that one day when we step out of eternity when God that boundary that God has set for our life and we move to that boundary and God by the way God's already set that boundary he's already set your life and when we move to that point and if the affliction that we're in brings us to now cross we're not stepping into eternal damnation we are stepping into eternal glory that's why the affliction now no longer will be there there will be no more sorrows there'll be no more tears there'll be no more crying there'll be no more night but for the non-believer, the affliction is just a foretaste of something worse that's coming. Do you see why Christians, why it's so important that we talk to people about the gospel? Do you see that why when people are going through affliction, we talk to them about the gospel? We talk about that which is their everlasting hope, but don't ever use the gospel as a way to tell them if you get saved, you'll never have affliction again, or this affliction will be gone. No. The afflictions are still there. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, I want to just touch on this as we bring this time to a close. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. Remember, Paul's writing from experience. He says, and again, notice, for our light affliction. Somehow, Paul considered his afflictions light. <laughs> now, if you've read the catalog of the afflictions that Paul was given, I can tell you with 100% certainty, I've not been brought anywhere close to his afflictions. But he said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, now, a moment in our human reasoning is longer than it actually is. Does everybody understand what I mean? It's a, a moment in our reasoning is actually longer than it actually is. A moment in eternity is so small, I cannot even humanly give you an illustration or an expression to make you understand it. Because in light of eternity, a moment is so fractionally small that it's as, it's as, it is nothing. Paul says, our light affliction, which is for, for a moment, worketh, notice this, for us. There's an example of when Paul is not saying this is working for everybody 
without condition. He's talking to believers. He said it's working for us. Far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. There's the key. Paul could only explain that God was working in a greater way. What's the greater work? The greatest work that's done in our life is not only that we're saved, but that we are being changed into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctifying grace. Working out our salvation. Afflictions are part of working out your salvation. But notice this pattern that Paul follows here. He says, a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is all about how we view it. Paul says, I'm not, my suffering, in my suffering and affliction, I'm not focused on the temporal things. I'm focused on the eternal things. The eternal weight of glory. Now brethren, I can tell you all the things that the Bible says that heaven is going to be like, although the Bible is not, goes, doesn't go deep into what heaven is. That's why you have a lot of speculation and a lot of people get it wrong. And I think there's a reason for that. But I also understand that what Paul is telling us here is that in order to be able to handle these afflictions properly, you have to view them with the right perspective. And that perspective is, is that goes all the way back to Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 4. We could, I could take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul actually begins to talk about uh, for himself and one of the reasons, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verse 4, who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. That word consolation means comfort. Where does our comfort and affliction come? From Christ. And he says, whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation or the comfort. Afflictions will come to the people of God. We're not delivered from the temporal things of this world. But friends, we ought to rejoice this morning that if you are in Christ Jesus today, you have been delivered from the evil of those afflictions. It is another reason to praise our God. It's another reason to exalt the name of Jesus Christ is that even in afflictions, we've been free. We are freed. We're freed to do and to rejoice and to act and to obey he who died for us. You see, I can't speak like that to every single person who walks this planet. One of the hardest things a minister's ever called to do is to preach funerals. It's a great opportunity, but I'm telling you, it's one of the toughest things you'll ever do. Because there are words of comfort I cannot give to certain people sitting there, and there are words of comfort I can't give to the person who, who passed away. 
You know, oftentimes we stand up at funerals and suddenly a person who didn't live such a good life is made out to be one of the most generous, kind people who ever lived. Suddenly everybody says this was a great man, but yet that man lived in great defiance of God all of his life. I've been called to do a number of funerals for people who were known unbelievers. And there's very little I can say about that person who died. All I can do is turn to the people that are out there and tell them the glorious good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility as a church. That's why we're taking time to try to instruct one another. How do we go out and tell people when you have to deal with a brother or sister in Christ who's going through an affliction or a non-believer is going through affliction, how are we going to handle it? If you're dealing with an atheist, don't, don't pull Romans 8.28 out of your tool belt. Don't pull it out and say, this is working for your good. That's not what that verse means. There are people that have, the, have Joshua on their board to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And they're not even believers. Paul specifically was edifying these saints that these things are working for your good and the evil of afflictions has been removed. I certainly hope that we'll be able to understand through the Spirit this morning what God is teaching us. Amen. Well, let's conclude our time this morning and we'll sing a familiar hymn in the Hymns of Grace 105. 105. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. For me it was in the garden He prayed, not my will but Thine. He had no tears for His own griefs but sweat drops of blood for mine. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's stand together as we sing.